You're listening to an Empavillion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at empavillion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, so firstly, uh, we acknowledge the people of the Eastern Kulin Nations as the traditional custodians of the land in which we meet today. We pay our respects to their land, their ancestors and their elders, past, present and in the future. We also acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands where anyone is listening to a recording of this event. I want to welcome everyone here to the beautiful Victoria Gardens for tonight's discussion from furniture to mulch giving timber pallets a new life. My name is Sage Han. I'm the Group Operations Manager for Vanshakes Biogrow, a family-owned business spanning four decades in organics recovery. I'm also the Chair of the Victorian Committee of the Australian Organics Recycling Association, um, and it is my pleasure to lead the panel discussion tonight on a subject that has many different perspectives. Every year, Victorians dispose of around 4.8 million tonnes of waste into landfill. Of those, there is a significant volume of timber materials that contribute to those tonnes. These materials come into the waste stream from a range of sources. These include importing of goods, pallets in container freight, offcuts from the building and construction industries, the demolition of timber infrastructure, and of course, domestic sources such as timber furniture. These materials come to us through transfer stations, skip-in services and from waste recovery services throughout the state. The industry has significant impacts to positive environmental outcomes, economic contribution to jobs creation, infrastructure and equipment spend and renewable resources for a range of outcomes. Tonight you'll hear from leaders within the recycling industry taking the recovery of timber seriously, developing sustainable and diverse end markets of using waste timber as a resource, diverting hundreds of thousands of metres of timber from landfill each year. So first tonight we're going to hear from Ward Petherbridge on the many lives of pallets, how they cycle through uses, repair and more. Ward has worked in the recycling industry for over 25 years and is the founder and sole director of Smart Resources Group. Ward, thank you. Thanks, Sage. Um, so my name is Ward Petherbridge. I'm the managing director of uh, Smart Resources Group. Um, we're a uh, recycling company. We're, our main depot is in Dandenong South, and we've also got depots in Brooklyn and Epping. Um, so I'm going to tell you about the humble pallet and how it enters the waste stream and what's done with it. Um, pallets are ubiquitous throughout the world. Those of you who don't know what a pallet is, this is a very small pallet. But essentially, it's, it's a platform that was developed um, when forklifts were first invented in the 1920s. Um, before that, everything was uh, you know, loaded by hand in sacks. And, uh, so the, the forklift sort of revolutionised how goods were transported. And they really took off around the Second World War. Um, and nowadays, there's uh, around... Uh, five billion pallets in circulation, and it's a market valued at over a hundred billion dollars. So it's it's an enormous uh, amount of t 
timber, and there are some plastic pallets as well, but the majority of pallets are still timber. It's still the cheaper um, means of making a pallet, and it's also easy to repair them. Uh, so if a board gets knocked off by a forklift, you can just nail a new one on. So they go around and round and round the world, but the crazy thing is there's not actually an international standard. So uh, in Australia, we use 1.165 metres square, which is the Australian standard. In Europe, it's uh, 1.2 by 0.8. In America, it's 48 by 40 inches. So we're all, it's a bit like, I would compare it to the, the old days when the, the rail gauges between New South Wales and Victoria didn't, didn't match. It's that stupid. So goods that are coming in from overseas are often repackaged onto an Australian size pallet. Um, and the pallet that the goods came in on is thrown, in the, thrown away. So often in a skip bin, or there's collection services like ours that run around with trucks all over Melbourne. We've got 15 trucks um, collecting, you know, hundreds of thousands of pallets. So our primary um, uh, aim is, is to reuse the, the pallet. Uh, so we will either repair it if it's missing boards. We've built up a customer base over 25 years. So we've got about seven, 800 customers for pallets. And they could be companies that might be ordering 10 at a time. They could be ordering 1,000 at a time. And we also modify pallets. So this little one in front of you, that's actually been, that's a European size that we've cut in half. Um, which is a, a, it's a pretty ugly sort of process. We just put it on a big panel saw um, with what I call nail busting blades. Uh, so they're a special carbide on the blade that can handle hitting nails. And there's been a, a big uptake of these little tiny format pallets since the um, internet sales went through the roof. So the way companies pay for transport, um, Nowadays, it's a footprint that's going on the truck. So they'll try and match the pallet to their goods and they'll be paying less for transport. So these pallets used to get mulched and now we sell tens of thousands of this small format size pallet because of internet sales. So it's always evolving. Um, there's also been some changes in the waste stream, which uh, all of us here are going to be talking about tonight. So back in when I started 25 years ago, everything was either pine or hardwood. Um, nowadays, we're getting a lot of engineered timbers. So this is what you call oriented strand board. So you get pallets that are entirely made of um, engineered timber. So plywood, OSB, MDF. Um, a lot of the um, pallets coming in from Asia are now fully made out of engineered timber. So it presents challenges as recyclers as to what we can do with that. So Obviously, if it's a pallet we can repair, that's the most environmentally friendly outcome, but it's also the, the best outcome for our bottom line as well. So if we can sell that pallet, as I said, these ones used to be mulched. A handful of mulch is worth maybe a couple of cents, whereas that pallet's worth about 3 or $4. doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're selling thousands of them, um, it does add up. If we can't repair it or modify it, then we pull the pallets apart and reuse the timber. Uh, so if the timbers are long enough to lend themselves to making another pallet, we, we pull them apart through specialised dismantling equipment. We're actually looking into getting a robotic dismantler. Um, I went to the States last year and with a manual dismantler, two guys on that can pull apart about 150, 200 pallets a day. The robot can do 700 pallets a day. So it's a lot safer, there's, there's less risk of manual handling, handling injuries and 700 pallets a day is giving you a really good harvest of recycled timber. So if we can't pull it apart, 
um, then it gets uh, sent to our mulching area and we, we partner up on three sites with Ecodynamics and Nick's going to be talking a bit later on. And Ecodynamics make landscaping mulches. Um, they uh, also do some animal bedding and we have our own shredder as well and we do some boiler fuel. We've got a, a bioenergy plant and we use the, the, the waste wood chip to run the bioenergy plant. Prior to that, we were using LPG gas, which is $1.25 a litre. And this pallet, for example, has been heat treated. You can see there's a, a code on the side of the pallets. This one's from Germany. So it says DE for Deutschland. And it's got a code of who made it. So you can pinpoint from that code exactly where that pallet was manufactured. And we do that in Australia for export customers. So they might be sending something to New Zealand, uh, anywhere in the world, and we have to put it in a kiln and heat treat it so that the core temperature of the thickest part of the timber reaches 56 degrees. And if there's like 1,000 or 2,000 pallets in the kiln, that can take 24 hours. So you're burning a lot of gas. So it actually makes a lot of sense to use the waste wood as the heat source. So we're the first ones in Australia to do that, and that's been commissioned about 12 months ago. We're still fine-tuning it. It's been a bit of a headache, but we're getting there. And that, those same kilns are also used for drying timber as well. So we're starting to dry hardwood and um, garden sleepers and so on and so forth. Um, just want to talk a little bit about a competition exhibition we started um, about 20 years ago called Create from a Crate. We had um, a lot of crates coming in from uh, a truck factory at the time, Aveco Trucks, which sadly only just closed just recently. It had been going for about 70 years. They were originally making international harvester trucks, a lot of the garbage trucks you see on the road, the older ones, the Accos were made there. Um, and the engines were imported from America. And when we started working there, it was one of our first big contracts. We had a truck in there every day picking up their waste timber packaging. They had a lot of packaging, truck parts are big. And each engine, they're making eight to 10 trucks a day, came in a crate that weighed about 200 kilos. And the crates were American hardwood species, which um, are exotic here, but it's just what grows in their forests over there. And there's a weird system in America of private logging where um, if you've got a property and you've got 50 trees you want to cut down, you can do it. And it'll often go up to the, to the sawmill and they'll use the whole log for pallet timber. You, they won't even grade it. So you end up getting really beautiful furniture grade, feature grade timbers in these crates. So we were pulling them apart. We had a work for the Dole Scheme for about a year um, and we just couldn't, we, we, we ended up just giving it away because there was so much of it. Um, and it was oak, elm, cherry, sycamore, maple, all these beautiful American hardwood species, which Pip's going to talk about a bit later on. Um, so we, we, we ended up having some woodworkers fossicking through the timber. Turned out they were members of the Victorian Woodworkers Association. Um, I went along to a meeting in 2002 and we came up with the idea of doing an exhibition competition called Create From A Crate, where we'd give everybody one crate, which was 200 kilos worth of timber, and they had 12 months to make whatever they wanted to out of it. And we had the first exhibition at Jeff Shed, and that was uh, in, in 2002 at the Working With Wood Show, um, and I was blown away by what people made. We, you know, there was a concert violin, there was amazing sculptures, furniture, um, it was, it was incredible what people did with the crates. So we started doing it every couple of years and we've since had 10 exhibitions around Metro, Melbourne and regional Victoria. So um, in fact, the last one we did, I think we had entrance all the way up the East Coast as far as Rockhampton. So 
Um, we haven't done one since 2017, but um, we'll probably do another one again, considering it has been 20 years. So um, without further ado, I'd like to pass you on to Pip, who's going to talk about, she was a two-time entrant of Create from a Crate. And in fact, you mentioned this before, in uh, that your, your, your pallet wasn't from Aveco Trucks, it was actually from Amcor. So Amcor imported um, rolls of the, um, uh, what do you call it? It's like metallic plastic to make chip packets. The chip foil, yeah. So that's where the pallets came and they were also made in America. So over to you, Pip, thanks. Hi, everyone. Uh, as Wood said, I'm a two-time entrant in that Create From A Crate competition and I've just bought a couple of things, I think from probably 2014 and 2016 exhibitions. Um, as I was looking at this stuff the other day, it occurred to me that having the availability of the pallet timber may have given um, Angelo, who made the beautiful basket, and myself a kind of permission to be experimental in the stuff that we were making. Rather than being super precious, we could actually have a crack at doing things we hadn't done before. And I think... Um, in that last exhibition, Angelo made an incredibly beautiful cabinet with woven doors. And I think uh, it's kind of really successful experimentation of a traditional basket weaving technique with a not so traditional uh, recycled pallet timber. I think they're fantastic. And I'm super glad I bought Angelo's basket. I love it. It's one of my favorite, favorite objects. Um, and for me, I really taught myself spoon carving using Ward's palette. Uh, I was lucky enough to go out to the facility and Ward gave me a tour of that amazing, um, amazing place. And I've had timber forever uh, to make spoons with, really. Um, just to run you through the process, you obviously get the crate, wrangle it apart with pry bars, thickness you material. I always fill any cracks and checks and nail holes with epoxy because I like um, not having to worry about designing around um, those imperfections. I am really happy to include them. So I dug these boards out. This is why you should never throw anything out. So <laughs> this has clearly been sitting in my shed for quite a number of years. Um, I have drawers full of kitchen utensil um, templates that I then use to just mark up the boards and bandsaw out. Uh, from then it's just a process of um, holding them on my workbench and I use hand tools. These are probably just spoke shaves and small drawer knives to get the finish on these. Um, and that's about it really. I, I think I was um, lucky enough, I don't know if you want to pass these around or, I think I was lucky enough to get red oak, white oak, um, poplar, there's some cherry here, some maple, um, lots of different things from that uh, chip packet crate. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty satisfying thing, making a useful object from a recycled timber that you get to push onions around a pan and uh, serve your food up with. I really love it, it's great. Keeps me off the street. <laughs> That's about it. Anybody got any questions? Thanks, Pip. No worries. Um, moving down the 
I guess it's sustainability train. So we have Ward that recycles pallets and, and repurposes them. We have Pip that makes beautiful things out them and I smash them. Uh, <laughs> so we, we literally get pallets like that and, and we have a machine that's larger than this structure that we're standing within that we feed them in and, and we'll turn several thousand of those pallets into a into a pile of mulch that that in a day might be three or four hundred cubic meters of, of material so we get all sorts of stuff through we, you know, we a lot of it is pallets we get it if you if you dispose of an old fence in the north of melbourne it's more than likely come through our facility and if you have a rummage through here you'll you'll see um all bits of that that's probably an old bit of fence there um and there's there's all sorts of bits of pallet and and, and everything else that that ends up that ends up in here. Uh, we're producing this stuff as a as a pretty basic uh, garden mulch. Um, it, it, in its plainest form, we, we get it, we grind it once, maybe twice. It, it gets screened, so that's taken all the very large pieces out, and all the very small pieces have come out. And that's and that's a screened mulch, and that's used in good um, landscapes. On you know, a lot of that's on the side of the road, um, in around new development parks, those sorts of things. It's it's a good basic durable uh, mulch um, we then get some other stuff that we that we will we will value add so we've got our 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 colored mulches so that's that's a we've got a red and um, we've we've got a black and and that black stuff literally is that chips fed through a big mixer paint is is fed into it and and then it is mixed and sprayed and then, and then, and it comes out almost as a dry product um, ready ready to go. Um, and to give you an idea of the volumes of material that, you know, thinking about what we do and, and what our competitors do, there's probably about 400,000 cubic metres of this type of product um, manufactured and sold in, in around Metro Melbourne uh, in any given year. And to give you an idea of that, we're all talking, you know, people know the MCG. This won't fill the MCG, but we reckon we'd probably get to about the top of the, or the bottom of the first tier. So there's a lot of material made every year that, that, that we go, that we go through. And, and these products have come, uh, I think this mulch in particular, all the stuff that we're doing are the quiet achievers. I think there's a lot of talk about sustainability and what people are new, what new things people are doing. But this has been going on that I'm aware of in the business we're in for over 30 years that, that, that originally they were buying um, red gum chip. So out of ancient red gums and chipping them up for garden waste. And the bloke said, well, one, he couldn't get it. It's not sustainable. What can I do? And he started sourcing uh, timber mulch that he could get uh, at a relatively low cost and then he invented a process and invented a local supplier to invent a paint um, to come onto it and then they moved into black and there's browns and there's all sorts of other colours that you can that you can get. Um, so it is a very sustainable process that's been going on and on forever um, and what I like to think about this is that perhaps not in these gardens, you won't, probably won't see these mulches in these gardens but there's so many gardens that we've helped create and we've helped grow trees with that they're not intended for for reuse in any of these products, but they have added to the value of our of our society and and, and community just by recycling this stuff and not leaving in the landfill, not burning it. Um, although that's a valid use, I won't. <laughs> um, but using it in in a in a really a really good way um, to to help I improve um, and and green our our, our communities. Uh, the other thing I'll talk to you about this is this whole. As, as Ward mentioned, this whole thing's whole waste stream is changing for us as well. We've we've got more and more contamination in this material. I'm sure if you could search through there, you'd find something that wasn't meant to be in there. There'd be a piece of MDF, there'd be a piece of chipboard. 
um, there might even be a piece of treated tr timber in there as well. So these are the things that are just coming into the waste stream because there's less hardwood available either sourced locally or internationally um, and so more treatment is being applied, more laminated timbers are being applied and we as an industry have to find ways to get them into, the, into products that people can buy and, and feel comfortable using in their gardens or in, or in commercial landscapes. So that's sort of a the sort of the next step down from recycling and reuse and I'll hand over to Sage who will talk about the end use of a lot of this stuff. Thanks Nick. So yeah we've uh, sort of travelled around and uh, there's lots of different applications and lots of different uses. Um, so as composters uh, we're sort of the end use of a lot of organics. Um, so if they can't be used in these sort of applications, uh, what we actually do is, is take the material away, we grind them as well if it can't be used in this sort of application and we'll put them in big windrows with other organics and we'll actually mix them together um, and then it turns into something that looks similar to this. Uh, so this is uh, like an organic mulch. Uh, this can be used out in viticulture, um, out into horticulture under orchards and things like that. So it's great for water retention. Um, it's really good for weed suppression. And the organics also infiltrate into the soil and, and make healthier soils um, and also healthier plants as well. So uh, I suppose what it, what it demonstrates is that there's, there's lots of different options. Um, it's great that we can make uh, new things out of, uh, out of waste products, but also good that this industry has been doing this for, as you said, 30 years, we've been, we've been doing this for 45 years, um, taking a variety of organics and, and making them into products. So it's a really positive outcome for something that, that could be a waste product in, in landfill. There's still a lot more to do in this space. There's still uh, around about probably 400,000 tonnes of timber that goes into landfill today. Um, and a lot of that is timber that we could be using for, for another application. So it's certainly something that is a, a challenge for all of us. And I suppose that sort of gives us a good segue uh, to talk about some of the challenges that we do have with engineered timbers that are coming into the waste stream and, and maybe how, how the community can help um, in terms of the way that they actually purchase products as well. So I'm not sure who wants to start that off. Everyone's looking at me, so I, I will. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, I think one of the key ways that people can help um, is to buy recycled. So the first uh, thing that all recyclers need is a market and that's there's been some monumental failures over recent times uh, for those of you who are familiar with the current saga with red cycle and the, the plastic collection at the supermarkets which has fallen over and again materials been stockpiled in warehouses the, pr the primary reason for that I mean everyone was doing the right thing and returning their bags and probably spending time and energy you know separating them and, and thinking they're doing the right thing bringing them back but there wasn't a big enough market for the plastic. So uh, unless there's that, that uh, demand for the products, as recyclers, yeah, we can recycle lots of things uh, till we're blue in the face, but unless we've got people buying the end products, none of it stacks up. So there, there are now um, government initiatives. Uh, so on the big infrastructure projects, they're now mandating that, you know, uh, buy recycled first, so you know, crushed aggregates that are made out of recycled concrete, recycled mulches and so on and so forth. But as just everyday consumers, everyone can do their bit by having a look at a recycled option if it's available. Um, so that's, that's one thing I'd certainly like to emphasise by kicking it off. And feel free to ask questions now if there's anyone in the audience who has any questions on anything we've talked about, please pipe up.
haven't even had your microphone. Uh, I've got a question. Uh, just in terms of MDF and um, plywood, what are you able to put through your organisations? Yeah, so we, we do process ply and it's got a um, – we and it's got a spe specific use. It'll often go into um, animal bedding. So farmers will use it for um, – uh, for bedding cows onto, or even some of it e even ends up going to other chipboard manufacturing plants. So they'll buy um, low-quality timber um, and they'll have a very primary grind on it and it'll go up to a, to a place near Benalla and it'll get turned into, into particle board. Um, MDF for us is a really uh, difficult one. If you, if you hit that with a hammer, it'll just turn to fluff and you just end up with mess everywhere. Um, we haven't been able to find a way... To um to do it, but I think, and Sage, you might have struggled, but I think Ward, you might have found a use for MDF. So we can blend a percentage of MDF if it's raw. So that's raw; it's non-laminated. It doesn't have a plastic coating, like um you know your kitchen cabinets will have a plastic coating on it. We can't use that as boiler fuel because it's obviously contaminated with the plastics. But as a raw MDF, um, as long as you've got the right emissions control system on your um on your boiler on your bioenergy plant then it can be safely used as fuel. So it's commonplace um, in Europe and America, particularly colder climates, um, bioenergy plants are really common. Um, they're far less common in Australia. They, there are a few that um, use forestry residue um, to heat glass houses where they might be growing tomatoes or eggplants, etc. Um, but the use of recycled timbers as biofuels a new thing. So we're trying to pioneer it in, in Melbourne. As I said, we've been going for about a year and we're still experimenting with, with fuel blends um, and obviously measuring emissions and, and ash content. We're trying to um, produce a clean enough ash that it can be recycled into road base. And obviously we have a use for the heat with the drying and heat treatment. But um, yeah, it is becoming more prolific in the waste stream. So we have to keep on coming up with ideas to utilise it. For some reason, they can't use waste MDF to make MDF. I don't know the technical reason for that. Um, but we can recycle plywood chipboard back into particle board. So as Nick was saying, we supply um, one particle board plant in Victoria, but their volume has really dropped off at the moment. Uh, and there's another one we're working on in Oberon, which um, there's, a, there's a company that produced the, all the chipboard for Bunnings. And in New South Wales, they collect all the waste timber from Bunnings and turn it into chipboard, which ends up back on the shelves in Bunnings. So it's like that circular economy story, which we're all trying to achieve. So we're hoping to do that sort of thing for them in Victoria as well. Yeah, um, uh, we also uh, have done quite a few trials with, with MDF. Um, it hasn't been successful in, in composting, unfortunately. Uh, what we found with the, with the material, so we, we heat our rows up to uh, in excess of 55 degrees um, and the microbial activity um, and moisture, we, we would have thought that it would have broken down the MDF, um, but we found the MDF was actually quite hydrophobic. So um, the microbes couldn't actually get into it to, to break it down over a period of time. So we tried it in a couple of different ways um, and it just didn't didn't quite work for us so but you know we we wanted to give it a try because we know that it is a, a, an issue in the industry but unfortunately from from our point of view 
Um, it doesn't work in composting. We've also done different blends for a pyrolysis plant, uh, which is using a waste timber source. Um, they're making, obviously, heat, carbon dioxide and electricity to heat their hothouses, um, and that seems to be going okay as a, as a blend, um, and the biochar results that are coming out are, are good as well. So there is some sources that are at a low percentage uh, that you can use MDF. David. In markets are a real challenge for all of you. If um, federal or state government could make some changes to assist you, what would you like to see the federal or state government do to assist you to improve those end markets and getting products out and maybe new innovative products also out to the markets? I might field that one if that's okay. Um, I'd actually like to uh, sort of flip it on its head a bit and things that are created and made, I think should have an end of life outcome. Um, so I think there should be um, more parameters for suppliers to make sure that they're actually creating products that do actually have somewhere that they can go, um, where they can be reused or recycled. That, that's my view. I'll chime in. I, um, so I know Dave and I have been doing some work on this because we, we work in the timber space and Everything is governed by standards these days. There's a, there's a standard for compost, which is a very good standard, um, and it has to be produced to that because that compost there is likely to be used in a food production system. And if you're dealing with a food production system, you've got to be very careful about what's going into that system and what, what may, may then end up in the food chain. That standard, because it contains mulch in the title, is then often used for the products that we make, which are garden products which are not used in the food production cycle and are often even used on the side of roads in very, very low trafficked areas, very low risk areas. On the side of a freeway, no one goes there um, because it's not safe to be there. They're, 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 you plant a landscape and it's left alone. So I think there needs to be uh, an understanding of what's going where, what the risks are to the environment and also to, to uh, the environment, including the humans that may be in a food chain and getting appropriate standards in there. And that may, you know, as we move to these more engineered timbers and more treated timbers, because you can't, uh, for example, 10 years ago, you could buy a hardwood paling for a fence. Now you cannot buy an untreated fence paling. And in Melbourne, most many new fences are uh, a fence paling. So we are just creating more and more CCA treated timber. And the only pathway for CCA treated timber at the moment is into landfill. That product in an appropriate um, ratio could go into our products whether it be painted or, or plain and, and depending on where it's going and quite easily serve out another function in the, in the environment. Um, but, that's, but if we're going to apply a food, food grade standard to it, it's never going to work. So there is work to be done there to get fit for purpose standards for the entire, the entire um, waste stream. the edge of freeways well what do you actually use a painted what do you paint it with so the 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 freeways is only colored stuff the painted stuff would be normally for domestic use um, and it, it's painted with our paint and we have a big mixer machine um, that we probably puts about a cubic meter a minute through it and it's it's the length of this room and it's probably two or three meters in diameter and we're constantly pumping water and paint into it so it's in a it's in a paint bath and then it's got sprays at the other end as it, as it comes out 
It's a water-based paint. Yeah, the, the the black is a carbon black, so that is a that's a that's a carbon as it would be in this timber, and uh, the red is a is a metal oxide. I can't tell you which metal it is, but they're all natural, safe paints. Yes, we actually changed our paints. We were using paints that had had it contained a fair bit of ammonia in them, which weren't good to work with for our guys, and they're now natural water-based paints, manufactured locally too. I think they're manufactured in Dandenong. Um, just a question on the um, uh, the treated timbers that you mentioned before. What's the proportion of treated timbers out there that are just going to landfill? And are there any options for that at the moment? Any innovative uh, ideas? The, the, the ratio is growing. Um, and there's and look, treated timber is not really my area of expertise, but there are various grades from a, from a wharf timber, which is very highly treated and you, and you wouldn't want in any mulch through to a, a fence piling, which is a which is a very um, very light light treating. But I know, as I said, it, it's increasing. Um, I've got no idea what the proportion of treated timber is. Probably around, probably between five and ten percent. But I expect it will grow. I don't know. David, over the back there, any idea? Yeah, I think um, you'd be looking probably around that sort of you know, twenty percent mark. But you're right with the growth in um, treated timbers and used treated timbers that w that will increase over time. Um, and reuse um, in Europe in, in mass burn incinerations that burn at 1,200 degrees Celsius plus. It can be used as a fuel source and the heavy metals are captured in the ash. But um, in Australia, we really don't have a, a long term. It's all, all well, going to landfill at the moment. The EPA are currently reviewing the CCA treated timber um, guidelines at the moment to look if there are some other reuse options for that material than sending it all to landfill. Anything, anything can, but it's so boutique and how much outdoor... And again, it comes down to the, the waste is generated here. Outdoor timber is... Outdoor furniture, I'm assuming, most doesn't have a, made in Australia on the box. Um, so again, it's just, it's just dislocation of, of, the, of where the waste stream is and where the, and where the manufacturing source is. I don't know, do timber workers do anything with treated timbers? The, the, sorry, with, with the reuse, like garden furniture you were saying before, there's a scale from one to nine. At that lower scale, the leachability or the chance of the CCA to come out is at a lower risk point. But it, like um, uh, 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 Nick was saying before, the, um, the pylons in um, you know, piers, etc., with that high concentration, you wouldn't want to probably use that as furniture use in the garden because there's a potential for some leachability of those, those heavy metals from that material. But the alternative is a hardwood, and that's going to come out of uh, most likely a natural forest in this country, or from overseas forestry. Which we, there's always questions about the regulation of that stuff. So I think that the treated timbers have a role. Um, you know, even even a lot of framing timber these days ends up being treated. How much of your pallet timbers treated? There's days. not much pallet timber that's treated because it's not necessary. So it's either fumigated or heat treated rather than chemically treated. So that's fortunate because we um, can't really deal with, um, we don't have uh, the desire to put through um, treated timbers in our bioenergy plant, mainly because then those heavy metals end up in our ash. So um, we're just sticking to this sort of material. Um, but also reusing um, treated timbers, often it enters the waste stream because it's rotten. So it'll be garden sleepers, pergolas, fencing, um, and it's usually just radiator pine and it's green. <laughs> so it's not that attractive to work with. So I don't, I don't know too many work, woodworkers who are keen on working with treated timbers. And it's also, 
it may contain arsenic, so copper chromium arsenic was the most common way of treating um, garden and timbers and fencing. So again, you don't want to be working with that. Sorry, you just asked my answer my question. What's what's the issue with treated timber? What's in the treated timber? That's the big issue. So there was for many many years at CCA, and they've they've got some different um, treatments nowadays. So um, CCA is copper chromium arsenic, and now there's ACQ, which is I'll try and say there's alkaline copper quaternate. I think that's right. Um, so it's just a different chemical concoction, but without the arsenic. Um, and yeah, there's, there's other more extreme treatments for wharf timbers, uh, obviously that have to um, try and survive getting attacked by um, sea life. So it's, it's obviously, it's, a to it's toxic to the environment, but it's, it's contained within the timber. So it soaks into the timber. Um, I'm actually drying timber tomorrow in the kiln, which is going to be treated. So um, I've got to dry out the radiator pine to get the moisture content down. So we have to dry the sap out of the timber so that it'll soak up the chemical. Not that we, we, we send it off to a treatment plant on behalf of a, 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 a treatment company, but you've got to remove the moisture and the sap from the timber so that it'll soak up the chemical. And then that timber remains stable. So hopefully that answers your question. Are you allowed to use treated timber for food, you know, handling? Like, you know, delivery to Safeway, are you allowed to use treated timber? So, like, not, not ACQ, yes. uh, uh, copper chromium arsenic, yeah. they, they would tend not to use a treated pallet. They would tend, to, so for food and pharmaceuticals, often on plastic pallets nowadays, so they can sterilise them and wash them. Um, and if it's... If it is uh, food manufacturing, um, they'll also often want a heat-treated pallet to make sure there's no termites or insects living in the pallet. Um, but there's, there's a shift for food and pharmaceutical towards plastic. But plastic's still more expensive than timber pallets. So a timber pallet might be worth 20 bucks. A plastic pallet's worth about 50, 60. Uh, you know, it's, it's still, a, and, and you can't repair them very easily. So it's still not illegal to use a um, arsenic-type pallet for food? Um, I don't know if it's illegal, but I've never seen it. I've, I've hardly ever seen any pallets made of CCA timber. Um, and I, I, I doubt, I, I don't know of any companies that request them either. So it's just not, it's not there's no reason to heat to, to chemically treat a pallet. Unless someone's used recycled timber from a fence or something to make a pallet, I yeah. wouldn't. I wouldn't see it. Yeah, I was going to say most of it comes into the system from fencing, typically, from what we see. Yeah, and just the badge on that that says HT, you have your own code for your company. Yep, we're AU three eight eight, so that can be traced to us, and we're HT as well. So HT means yeah. heat treated. Yeah. And there's also fumigation, which is MB, which stands for methyl bromide. So um, there's some things you can't heat treat. For example, if a, a container load of um, clothing or something fragile is coming into the country, they'll pump the container full of methyl bromide, which doesn't um, penetrate the timber. It just will kill any bugs or pathogens that are living on the outside of the timber. So that's the two options. Um, but we just do heat treatment. Yeah.
just um, on the CCA as well, just to, there's a couple of questions before um, about other uses. We've also tried to trial that in composting as well, and unfortunately, um, it, it killed the microbes. Um, so, yeah, they weren't particularly happy. So, as I was saying, it is a, it, it is can be toxic, and then... Uh, yeah, as the microbes have tried to break into the timber to break it down, um, that area of the timber uh, of the compost was actually inactive. So we thought that was quite interesting. Any other questions? Right, I might uh, ask a, just a question to the panel. So uh, probably just the biggest challenges um, that we've seen in the industry over the past few years with, with COVID and things like that. I'd just be interested in people's thoughts around that on uh, bringing in new equipment, um, lead times, things like that certainly has affected our business um, and has uh, yeah, made things a little bit more difficult. Uh, so I'm just interested in people's thoughts on that. Um, I'm left to right, so I'll go first. Um, COVID for us, I think, has just been about getting on and keeping your people online as they went through all the disruption. It didn't really... We we're, were part of the waste industry, so this this business didn't really stop. We kept receiving timber. We probably received less backyard timber. And interestingly, our coloured mulches and our garden mulches boomed. So we... We had people at home who were working on their gardens. We actually had a real slump last spring when we normally have a bit of a boom because everyone said, bugger this, we're off. And all, all took off into the, into, into wherever, into the, the great Victorian cities and outback and country to uh, spend some time catching up with people. But yeah, we had a very, very strong COVID because people were, buy, or were fixing up their back gardens. I did. I made a lot of spoons over COVID <laughs> pretty much for the same reason because people were pruning their garden trees and there was timber everywhere and I had nothing else to do so I just stayed home and made spoons. Um, probably one of the biggest challenges during the pandemic for us was there was a huge shortage of timber. So um, with the building boom and with everybody doing stuff in their gardens, um, the mills just couldn't keep up with, uh, with timber production. This is primarily radiata pine. That, so we don't just use recycled timber. We make hybrid pallets that might have recycled boards and new bearers or vice versa. So um, the timber mills just couldn't keep up with demand. Pricing went through the roof for all types of timber. Uh, and the mills refined how they mill timber. So they got a bit smarter about how they're doing it. So now they'll sell cant or flitch, which is basically a squared up log. Um, and then it's up to the pallet manufacturer to slice and dice that. So we had to invest in splitting lines, which are quite a long and expensive piece of equipment. Like one of our splitting lines is 45 meters long. Um, and that has multiple blades. So you can put through the squared up log and turn it into boards or bearers. So the lead times to get pallets manufactured were longer. Um, it certainly made using recycled timber more attractive um, because the more expensive new timber becomes, the more um, competitively uh, viable the recycled pallet becomes. So we've been getting really high pricing for recycled pallets. Before um, the pandemic, I would say a second-hand pallet might be going for $10 it's doubled. So we're now getting $20 for a second-hand pallet. So there's now a really big demand for second-hand pallets and everybody's, you know, trying to collect them from anywhere they can. So yeah, it has, it has thrown a few curveballs. Um, and yeah, we've just had to keep adapting and changing and also labor shortages as well. Um, 
it's been difficult to find staff um, through the pandemic um, and that still hasn't really improved. Um, so yeah, we've had to just do more with less. Yeah, from our, our point of view, uh, so we, we buy quite a few pallets off ward and yes, they have increased. <laughs> Um, we also sell uh, bag potting mix and composts and, and different materials into Bunnings. Uh, so we have a, a heavy reliance on, on pallets, uh, whether it be Loscombe, Shep, um, and also plain pallets. Um, and we found the, the two springs during COVID was an absolute nightmare to make sure that you actually had enough pallets to put stock on to get into stores. So that was probably one of our biggest challenges uh, over that period of time. Um, so we, we certainly saw the, dr the draw was there, but there wasn't the amount of timber to actually create new pallets into the system. So even though there are a lot of pallets around, uh, there never seems to be enough. They're, they're critically important to the way that we move uh, any sort of stock around. Um, so yeah, we certainly noticed that as well. And probably the other thing from our point of view is just the lead time on equipment. So, you know, getting uh, these uh, products to where they are takes a, a hell of a lot of processing, um, big pieces of gear um, and a lot of man hours and things like that. So it really has been quite difficult getting an, enough equipment and things like that into the country. So yeah, that's from our point of view. All right, if no one's got anything else, um, uh, that'll be us. We really appreciate you coming down and, and having a listen. Uh, hopefully you learnt something about the, uh, the timber industry. Uh, lots of wonderful things happening with, with people that have been in the industry for a long time and are really passionate about trying to make sure that we keep improving, um, keep bringing in new sorts of technology um, and making new products. So really appreciate your time. Thank you. You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.